Amen. Amen. And amen. Don't you get where Brother uh, Chris is reading in the passage? You, you know what's going to happen? And it's like, get there, bro. I mean, he's reading those passages and he's bleeding you up, leading you up, and you know it's fixing to be a battle. And we win. And it's like, man, I can't. Tonight, today's going to be that day I'm going to get there and, and read that. And he just inches along the way. Amen. But uh, it keeps me coming back. That's what it is. All right, well, good to see y'all here this morning. Thank you for being here. Good to see Brother Mike, Sister Gladys. Man, good to see y'all here this morning. Encouraged my heart when I look back and seen you. You got the little ones with you. Wow, look at that. So that's our dear friends, Brother Mike, Sister Gladys, and so good to see them. Got some visitors in the back, right? Good to see y'all here this morning. Appreciate y'all being here. I know our church is really large, and we can't really know where everybody's at or who everybody is, but uh, we'll not embarrass anyone. So, uh, But thank you for being here tonight or this morning as well. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. I want to preach a message this morning, if you're saved. If you're saved. And so as we stand to our feet in honor of God's Word, and I want to say thank you to the church. This is one of the suits uh, that y'all have purchased for the uh, uh, pastor appreciation there in October. And so we got able to get two suits for what y'all gave to us. And so this is one of them. Thank you. I'll wear the other one next week. And so, but again, thank you so much for your giving, your love and compassion towards us. And uh, we love you. And uh, we hope the Lord will bless. Here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If Ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory." Father, we come to you in Jesus' name here this morning. We do thank you for the grace and the mercy of our God. We're praying now, Lord, you lead and guide the service, that you'd guard our lips and our mind, that you fill us and anoint us with the Holy Ghost of God. Father, the Word of God may be preached this morning with passion and with, with compassion, Lord, yet with conviction. God, I ask you, God, to do a work in every soul. Now, we don't know this morning who's saved, who's lost. God, we don't know this morning at all, Father, where everybody's at in a spiritual sense. But we do know, Lord, that you're the answer for every need. And God, you're the answer for everyone. And we pray this morning that each one that would leave out of here, God, before they leave, that Jesus would be their Lord and be their Savior. We pray, Lord, that everyone would be saved. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we find here in the scripture, we're going to try to preach through the whole, the whole chapter here, not this morning, but here this morning and maybe tonight, uh, and as the Lord leads and how he might lead us this morning. But I thought it's very interesting at the very start of this chapter, the word if is there. And so anytime and every time the word if is there, I believe it ought to be a real interest in what follows that if. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ. And so the question would be, I would think this morning, and I titled my first point, the question at hand. This is a question that I believe each one of us need to answer, and we need to answer it according uh, to what we really are. And the question would be this, have you been risen with Christ? Have you been risen with Christ? Because it says, if ye then be risen with Christ, this is where Christianity begins. This is where being born again comes to be reality. Uh, it's not the doings. It's not the showing up. It's not the giving. It's not the kindness and the gentleness and all that we might put in within this Christian realm or this thought of Christianity only Christianity or being born again or being a Christian or being saved starts with 
risen with Christ. Everything else has no value if you have not been risen with Christ. You can come to church, you can give, you can do, you can be, but if you've never been risen with Christ, you haven't started your life yet with Christ. You haven't began the Christian life. You haven't even even been, been involved with the church. Even though you may say that I prayed a prayer and I've been baptized and and I've been doing this for a long time or I've been doing this for a certain amount of time, if you haven't been risen with Christ, then you're not saved. You're not a Christian at all. So this is where it really begins in the way of having eternal life. This is where eternal life begins. This is where the reservation of heaven starts. This is where if you're going to go to heaven when you die, you're going to have to be risen with Christ. And so uh, many a time we don't hear that type of language. Many a time we don't uh, understand what it really means to be saved. We have a lot of things that people tell us how to be saved. You can go to Google. You can go to a lot of books. You can go to a lot of preachers. You can go to a lot of churches. And you'll get a whole list of how to be saved. But the Word of God is the only authority that they tell us how to be saved. Amen. It's the only Word of God that can tell us how to get to heaven since it was Him who is the inspirator of this book, is the one who created heaven, and He would know, and He is the one who gave the requirement. And here it is this morning. It is, if ye then be risen with Christ. Now that's the beginning. And everything else you read after verse 1 all the way down to verse 25 will be you if you've been risen with Christ. If you haven't been risen with Christ, then all the rest of this chapter does not apply. And that's the reason why you probably just can't live without sin. And that's just probably the reason why you can't be faithful to the house of God. And that's just probably why this morning uh, uh, that you can't be the wife or the husband or the children that God would want you to be. And that's just probably why this morning, uh, uh, why your life is in a big mess. And it's probably why this morning that you never go forward. You always seem to go backward. You're unhappy. You're miserable. Uh, you've got absolutely no joy in your life. And you're wondering what's going on. I go to church. I, I, I read my Bible. I even pray. I even like those that do that kind of stuff as well. And yet I just find no victory in my life. Well, it's right here. If ye then be risen with Christ. That's the start of a Christian life. You cannot skip uh, if, you've been th- if you've been risen with Christ and then add all the rest of the things that somebody's told you what a Christian is. See, we got a bad problem. And the bad problem is, is we listen to everybody else around us rather than listen to one that's above us. And it seems like that we take the word of mama and daddy and brother and sister and aunt and uncle and friend and co-worker and spouse and children above and beyond what God says. And we bring confusion and trouble within our lives. Now, I want to eliminate that. I want you to leave out of here this morning with truth. I want you to leave out of here this morning knowing whether you have been risen with Christ or not. That's the purpose of the message because that's the beginning of going to heaven. We find number one concerning the question at hand is in order for you to be risen with Christ, and the question is, is have you been risen with Christ? There's going to have to become a death. It requires a death. There's nothing ever that's been risen that hasn't died. Jesus gives us some of those examples. Look in John chapter, keep your hand there, we back in Colossians here, but in John chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus uses it as an example of teaching us what it means uh, to die in order to be raised. The Bible says in John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And so with that thought this morning, as if you would put a seed within the ground, that seed must die in order for it to bring a fruit, right? 
And you take everything about life, and that is true. It's going to have to die. The form of the seed does not come forth in the way of the fruit looking like the seed. Is that true? You put a seed in the ground, it don't, it don't come forth as a seed. It comes forth as the fruit. And so that seed has to die within the ground in order for you to have the fruit of a Christian, to be a fruit of eternal life, and the first fruits of Christ, you have to die. The farm in which you died is not the farm in which you're alive. It never works that way, man. And so we find uh, the principle that Jesus is using with grain and wheat is a true and right principle. Now turn your Bibles a little bit closer to Colossians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we find again Paul uses this same uh, uh, principle uh, concerning the thought of, of raising or rising, but there has to be a death before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 36, the Bible says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, that means made alive, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other ground. And so he's talking about the resurrection. How are they going to be resurrection? What body are they going to come in? And Jesus, or Paul is saying, well, fool, don't you know that it's kind of die? In order to be resurrected. And so this morning, I'm just letting you know right off the bat that if anyone is ever going to be saved, they're going to have to die. And they're going to have to die to whom they are and die in what they are and die in to about what they are. So what you're saying, Brother Larry, is this. I'm saying that as you come this morning, as you come forth out of your mother's womb, and as you live your life, and as you do what you do, uh, you're going to have to die, and then something new will come forth out of that. If you've never died, you're still the same old person you've always been. You're the same thinking, the, the same emotional, uh, the same physical person you've always been. You have been stubborn from the beginning. You're still stubborn. You have been uh, rebellious, and you're still rebellious. Uh, you have been one who's going to do your own thing, your own way, in your own time. You're the one this morning who's going to live a way that you want to live and do it, no matter who says what or when they want to say it. You have always been who you are this morning. You have not died. Because once you die, you're risen and new. What dies is not the same that what rises. Is that true? That's facts. So we can't argue with Brother Larry this morning. We can't say, well, listen, brother, uh, you're not preaching the truth or you're just coming up with something this morning. I'm telling you that's what Jesus said, and I'm telling you that's what Paul said, and that's what's taking place in Colossians chapter 3 is if you then be risen with Christ and there be no risen with Christ except there be a death. You have to die. Amen. So let's understand what that might mean this morning. And so the question might be is how do you die? I mean, in order for me to go to heaven, I got to die? I mean, it seems like to me, I want to live. So what does it take in my life to die? Well, it's explained in chapter 2 of Colossians. Can turn back with me just one chapter in verse 11. And we talk about uh, how did you die or how do you die? Uh, in verse 11, the Bible says, In whom also you have circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting up the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I'm going to say, number one, in order for you to die to be risen with Christ, it's going to be a, cho a choice that you make to die. You've got to make that choice. You've got to come into your life and say, you know what? I am going to do what verse 11 says. The verse 11 says, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Who puts off the body of the sins of the flesh? Who does that in your life? You do that in your life. 
You come to a place in your life and you said, you know what? I'm done with sin. I'm done with the body of sin. I'm done with the way I live. I'm done the way I think. I'm done. I'm through with me. I'm sick of me. I'm tired of me. I am over me. Please, I need something to take place in my life because I am not what I want to be and I am not what I ought to be and I need to do something with me. And so we find that this choice is that you choose to die. I can't make you choose. Your parents can't make you choose. They can pray that you get saved. Uh, they can beg God that you get saved. They can talk to you day in and day out. Uh, they can have the preacher come over and deal with you. Uh, they can have the counselors at school come talk to you. Uh, they can do whatever they need to do. Your friends, your loved ones, those that really care about your soul and care about your life will come to you and say, listen, you've got to change your ways. Listen, you've got to stop living that away. You've got to stop thinking that away. Uh, listen, something Something's wrong with your heart. It just don't seem that you are what you need to be. You can't ever get it right. You always seem to love sin and have pleasures in sin. And that's not the way life goes. I'm telling you, will you turn from your sin? Will you stop? Will you repent? But nobody can do that unless you choose to do that. There are jails that are full of men and women today that are going to go back to jail because they have not chose to die. Our population in our, in our prisons are overpopulated. And I'm going to tell you why. It ain't because somebody killed somebody. It ain't because somebody embezzled. It ain't because somebody raped. It ain't because somebody did some other heinous crime. It's because they will not choose to die. And we have homes that are full of dysfunctional uh, children. We have churches today that are disobedient members. Uh, we have today a full all across the world with people who just won't choose to die. And they'll never be resurrected. We find in this death not a choice in which you will make. But let's understand what it means to putting off of the body of the sins. What it means this morning, uh, if you would look at the definitions of that word putting off of the body of the sins, it means this this morning. I got three definitions, and boy, it's very interesting. Uh, it means to divest wholly oneself. Now, what does divest mean? Well, divest means to deprive someone of the power and rights and possessions. That's what it means. To deprive someone of the rights and possessions in which they have. And when you put off the body of sins, what you're saying is, I am depriving myself the right to sin. I am depriving myself of the possessions of sin. I am saying to God, God, I am putting off this sin and I am depriving myself of what I might think or what I might believe in or that I might uh, have power to do. I am now depriving myself of having the power to sin. That's what it means. And so we say putting off the body of sins, you're saying I am taking me, me, myself, and I am making choice that I'm going to deprive myself from the power and rights and the possessions of sin. It also means to rid yourself of something that no longer wants or requires. So to put off those body of sins, you're saying, I am now ridding myself of those things that I once wanted and I enjoy. All right, so we're talking about the divest holy of oneself. The next definition of the word putting off means to despoil holy oneself. So what does that mean? That means this. The word, the word despoil means to steal or violently remove possessions. So what you're saying is when I make this choice that I'm going to put off the body of sins, I'm going to do it violently. I'm going to do it in a way uh, that it's not going to be a long, drawn-out ordeal. I'm not going to lay down this today and lay down that tomorrow and let go of this the next day. And within a six-month period, I will get rid of the list of my sins. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is when I make choice that I want to die, 
It will be a violent choice in that it will rid of me and deprive of me of all the sin in my heart and my life. It will completely and voluntarily be removed. Talking about dying now. This is why many people don't like to die. The despoiling of oneself wholly. The very device oneself wholly. And that word despoil means to strip of belongings and possessions of value. So whenever you come to the place of salvation and you want to be risen with Christ, if ye then be risen with Christ, you're going to have to come to a place in your life where you said, I've made a choice to die because there'll be nothing resurrection unless it died. And there'll be nothing that died unless it's stripped. Stripped from you. And the body of sins have to be stripped from you. The word there, also despoiled, means taken away from it by force. In other words, you've got to come to a place in your life when sin is taken away from you by force. It's something today that I don't gently just lay down. I lay it down with great force. In other words, this morning when I have sin, I take it and I shove it away. See, when you died, you cast it away. You take that sin this morning who has caused you and will cause you to die and go to hell in. Jesus said you have died in your sins this morning. And when you come to the place to die, friend, you'll take that sin and you will violently and you will, uh, you will take it with such force and you'll just say, get out of here. And you remove that adultery. You remove that unforgiveness. You remove that bitterness. You remove that sinfulness and say, move, leave, get out of my life. And there will be in such a voluntary way. Amen? So if ye then be risen with Christ, the question at hand is, is have you? But if there is, it's going to require a death. Another word that describes this word putting off means to disarm wholly oneself. To disarm means to reduce the size and the strength. It means to remove the weapons. So basically what you could say is this this morning. What it means is this in kind of our terms. When it says putting off of the, of the body of the sins of the flesh, it's, it's, you could say it like this. I'm stripping off all the clothes. And I'm leaving behind to never pick back up. That's what it means. When you put off, you say, I'm putting off the body of sins. I'm taking every sin I've ever known, every sin I've ever committed, every sin I've ever had pleasure with, every sin that I have ever had pointed my mind and my heart, and I have taken the clothing or the garment of sin off. I'm throwing them on the ground. I'm turning my back to it. And I said, I am walking another direction, never to return. That's what it means to die. Amen, Brother Larry. That's why this morning not many are saved. That's why when they asked Jesus, well, who shall be saved? He said, a few. And this is why. It's not that the grace is much and the mercy is great and the love is wonderful. But when you come to the place, if you then be risen with Christ, we come to the conclusion we've got to die. This is what it means to die. You say, Brother Larry, sometimes you make it seem like salvation is really hard. I don't want to make it seem like it's really hard, but I want to make it seem like it's what the Word of God teaches. I'd hate for you to live your life with some thought or some mind that you're saved and that you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that you have died somewhere in the past and, and you're now living that risen life and, and you come and die. And as soon as you die, you open your eyes up in hell and pray for all of eternity. You'll burn. As a preacher this morning, I'd hate to know that I led you that way. I'd stand before God, and I will stand before God someday to every word that I preach, and you'll stand before God for every word that you hear. And I'd pray this morning that I could come through that judgment. We're saying, Lord, I've done the truth. I told the truth. I gave you all the word of God. 
And I'd pray you could do the same. This type of message this morning and every message it seems is difficult. I've got loved ones this morning that has never died. I got folks in my family that's never died. I got people that I love and care for that's never died. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for us. But the truth is the truth. And so we find this morning in the way of the choice to die. And so it's up to the individual this morning whether they choose to die. And we talked about what that meant. Number two, there's the circumcision of death. We find in the scripture there in verse 11, it says, In whom also you are, you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. If you keep your hands there, turn to Romans chapter 2, and we are going to move in a place where the circumcision, Brother Keith mentioned a little bit about that this morning, about the Jews and the covenant and what brought forth the covenant with the Jews and what separated them with the covenant was the males to be circumcised. But we find in chapter 2 of Romans and there in Luke in verse about 28, the Bible says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is an outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit, and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. So the circumcision that will take place within your heart at the time of death would be a circumcision that will be made or given by the circumcision of Christ. It was him that will bring on this circumcision. Now we know that in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16, God says to the children of Israel, what type of circumcision is, is allowed with him? that will get them into heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. I'll read it to you this morning. It says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be not more stiff-necked. So it wasn't the circumcision of the flesh that made the Jew go to heaven. It was the circumcision of the heart that gave them the entrance into heaven. Same for us. We find as well in Deuteronomy 30 in verse 6 what God's mind said upon this circumcision of the heart. He says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed and to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. They would not love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. And they will not live unless they get circumcised of the heart. They have to die. Very clear, very plain. Now, on the Jewish circumcision, it's an external surgery. Every male has an external surgery. They cut away the far skin of the organ. On the circumcision of Christ... It's an internal surgery. It happens in the heart. Not on the out, but on the in. On the Jewish circumcision, it is a one part of the body that is being operated on. But in uh, the spiritual or the Christian circumcision, it's the whole body of sins that gets circumcised. The third thing is it's done by hands on the Jewish circumcision for the father or someone within that uh, Jewish group would come by and physically with hands and with knife began to cut and do cut uh, around the foreskin of that organ. But in uh, the circumcision of Jesus, it's a circumcision made without hands. So you can't circumcise your heart yourself. Your pastor can't do it. Your mom and daddy can't do it. Your best friend can't do it. And the greatest preacher of all times can't do it. Only him that can bring surgery within your heart. And that surgery can only be done without hands. We find fourthly, on the Jewish ceremonies, 
It's done. It don't overcome sin. The circumcision of the Jew does not overcome sin. It's just a covenant sign of they're in the covenant. But on the Christian or the Christ circumcision, it brings you to overcoming sin. No one will ever get circumcised of the heart and not overcome sin. So we find the two differences, and yet some of it is the same. This is the true circumcision of God. In verse 12, the Bible says, Buried with him in baptism, Colossians chapter 2. And it says, Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. There's the operation. We use that term a lot. I'm going into surgery. Yeah, well, you're going to have an operation. But this is the operation. We're talking about the circumcision of death. It's Christ that changes the heart. It's Christ that converts the heart. It is Christ that circumcises the heart. And friend, whenever they as a Jew, Jewish male would get circumcised and they would cut off the foreskin of that organ, that cut off or that removal is never able to go back and put it back. Is that right? In a spiritual or a Christian circumcision, that foreskin of the heart, the heart that circumcised, is never able to go back and put it like it was. You talk about eternal security. You've got that right there. You can mark that down. You can highlight it, do whatever you want to. Friend, when you come into the surgeon, when you come under the hand of the great physician, when you come under the operation table, when God begins to circumcise your heart, friend, you'll never, ever go back to where you ever was. That makes sense. We see that in the physical side, and we see it now on the spiritual side. Can we say here number three? Not only is uh, there a choice of, die, of dying, which is your choice, but then there's a circumcision of death, which is Christ, but then we notice there's the cause, the cause of death. What brings you to the place to die? It's called the cross, the cross of Calvary. See, everybody goes back to the cross. We might want to be a church who wants to remove the cross because the cross is offensive. We might want to be a church today that wants to kind of uh, just kind of make lightly on the cross because the cross is very suffering. But friend, you'll not be able to die unless you die at the cross. You'll never be resurrected unto the Lord. Never if you then be risen with Christ. You'll never be there until you come to the cross. Now look what happened on the cross. This is where death took place for you. Verse 13, the Bible says, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Man, if you have a highlighter, you ought to highlight those three verses. There is so much that happened right there for your eternity. And this is the place of dying in order to be risen. Don't you know it's number one? Sin forgiven. Man, where can you go to get sin forgiven? The Bible says there in that verse 13, and having forgiven you all trespasses, when you die, and when you die in Christ and you die to sin, you're going to find that every one of your sins that you committed in the past are now forgiven. And you're going to find that every sin that is committed in the present is forgiven. And every sin that's ever committed in the future is already forgiven. And any, any sin that's done by the way of a thought or imagination or the way with a touch or a word or a deed or even looking upon one, uh, even in the way of lust, of pleasure this morning, every sin, all sin, and all that you might can do or not even think that you can do or maybe you forgot that you've done 
is all forgiven. Isn't that good? That's why you are to die. It's forgiven. Forgiven. Never to be held against you anymore. Never to be brought up again. God, it says, I have cast your sins from the east as far as the east is to the west to remember them no more. Now, could God remember them if he wanted to? God's God. He don't forget nothing. But he chose to not remember your sins. That's forgiveness this morning. Why would you want to die at his cross to get your sins forgiven? You'll not get your sins forgiven in the baptistry. You'll not get your sins forgiven in being a member. You'll not get your sins forgiven because you ask that you get them forgiven. That's not how forgiveness comes. Forgiveness comes at the cross. Friend, God has no obligation with you for you to tell him to do anything with you that he must do that for you. None. He's not obligated to. He's the creator with the creation. So God is not obligated to do anything. But I tell you what God is obligated to do, and that is to keep his word. Do you know that God is bounded by his word? Do you know that God will never do anything or say anything against his word? Did you know that? Did you know that we can hold God to his word? And do you know that the God in which we serve and the God that saved our souls is a God that is faithful to his own word? The Bible says that the word of God is settled in heaven, amen? Friend, it's pure, it's there, it's perfect, amen? Nothing of man but all of God. We think today about this cross and sins forgiven. But can I say number two? Not only is sin forgiven, but sin forgotten. He speaks of that there in this verse 14. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's an important word, against us. Which was contrary to us. That's another big phrase, contrary to us. And took it out of the way. What's important? Nailing it to his cross. He's talking about the law. The law that condemned us. The law that has found all the world guilty. He said, what I'm going to do is that thing that's against us, that thing that's contrary to us, he says, I am going to blot it out. That word blotting out means I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to wipe it out completely. He said, that thing uh, uh, that was, so Jesus took our sins to the cross, but Jesus took the law to the cross. As that law that you and I, under the commandments of God, could never be kept. And if we have offended in one, we have offended in all. And so none of us this morning, according to the law, would ever find righteousness. But God said, Jesus said, that I'm going to the cross of Calvary, and I'm going to take that which is against us and that which is contrary to us. He said, I'm going to walk right up to the cross of Calvary. I'm going to walk up to the skull, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to nail it upon the cross. My cross. He said, because that's what happens when you die. Amen. You die to the law. You die to sin. It's been nailed on the cross. But can I say here thirdly, talk about the cause of death. Sin has fallen. Not only sin forgiven, sin forgotten, but sin fallen. We notice that there in verse 15. He says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them all. Who is them and who this morning are the principles principalities and powers and what's he talking about well this is what he's talking about i want you to know the sin has fallen because the source of sin has fallen the bible says the powers and principalities have been spoiled now where did that get spoiled at the cross of calvary when jesus died and shed his blood on the cross of calvary he spoiled the principalities, and he spoiled the powers. Well, who are that? That's Satan. That's the devil. So now he's disarmed him. Now the cross of Calvary has brought, has brought a, a disarming to the enemy that you and I have, the God of this world, the enemy of us. 
The God of this world, the devil, wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy anything and everything that has God within it or on it. Amen? And don't think that thou, when you walk out of here that the devil's afraid of you or the devil is, is kind of just walking around at you because you intimidate him. But, friend, I'm going to tell you right now that the devil, friend, if he could, he would cause a divorce. If he could, he would cause a death. If he could this morning, he would cause a division. If he could this morning, he'd cause a disease. If he could this morning, all of us will never be back to this church again if he could. But what did Jesus do on the cross of Calvary? As he disarmed him, he spoiled the power and principalities. Satan did not expect that day. Oh, the old dirty, rotten devil. The old serpent, amen. Oh, he didn't know what was coming his way. Jesus died, friend. The Bible says the source of sin, Satan, has now been spoiled. Number two, I noticed the strength of sin has now been taken away. The principalities and the powers disarming Satan of sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you all your life, all my life. From the day I got born out of my mother's womb to the day I got born again, sin dominated my life. But on the cross of Calvary, it's strength has now been disarmed. <laughs> Woo! Can you imagine this morning if you were still in the dominance of sin? The wages of sin is death. Man, listen, there is absolutely nothing that comes out of sin that's good. Nothing, friend. You want to look at the commercials and they got the beer and Budweiser and Long Neck, all that kind of junk going on and, and uh, the, the wine coolers and the, that whiskey and all that kind of stuff. There's always beautiful women and beautiful men driving beautiful cars and beautiful homes. Do you notice that? Man, they're drinking it up. They're living it up. They got the best of everything. They're, they're the richest that you can even see. And so you look at it over here. We're just old regular common people. And we look on that and they're drinking all that. And they're saying, boy, this is good. This is fine. This is how you live the life. This is the American dream. I mean, listen, friend, we all do this. Barbecue and beer. That's the way to go. And, man, it looks good. But they don't ever show you the next day. When that individual has his head in the toilet, blowing, blowing the toilet up with the vomit that's coming forth out of his stomach. They're never showing you of the very night of that drunk beating up his wife or abusing his children. Or that drunk who coming forth to work or not coming to work. Or the dysfunction of the home. Or getting into a place and running somebody over and kill him in a car. And now he's in prison. I just say to you, they never show you that side. They always show you this front side. And aren't you glad this morning that that sin, that power, that strength of sin has been disarmed by the cross of Calvary. Why wouldn't you want to die? Don't know why. Can I say here thirdly, the showmanship, verse 15, he says he made a show of them openly. In other words, he's saying that this Satan and this sin, it does have glory. It does. Satan and sin, man, it does have pleasure. And Satan and sin, it does have praise. I mean, listen, friend, if you would go talk to your friends and your family today and talk about sin, there's going to be some glory in that. I mean, that tell you about me, 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 all the, me, me, all the boys, me, 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 all the girls. Boy, we went over there, and we just we painted the town red. Yeah. Remember the good old days? We got wiped out. We don't even know how we got where we were. We, we're talking about pleasures of sin and talking about the glory of sin and the praise of sin. Man, I tell you what, I stole that. I embezzled that. I tell you what, I rickadooed him. I bamboozled that guy, you know, and I'm living it up and I'm, I'm doing all these things, but I'm tell you something, what a man soweth, he shall also reap. It's coming back home. Sin may seem pleasure, but what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary is he took that glory and he took that praise and he took all that pleasure and openly, openly, he put on the cross of Calvary as Jesus had his arms way out, his feet together, 
with the stakes in his arm and his feet. As he was there, as he was bleeding, as he was mocked and spit upon, as he was slapped upon, as the blood flowed from the body of God for the sins of the world. And as you look at the body of Jesus, it could not even be recognized. His visage was not known because of all the blood and the bruising and the beating that he took. He looked at it openly. This is what sin is. And this is what sin does. Openly. And the Bible said he triumphed over it. Now, you got choice this morning. You can live in your sin and leave out of here and be hunky-dory, shaking and baking, grooving and moving. You can do your thing and you can do it as much as you want to. That's your business and you do as you please. But just remember, just remember, if there's no resurrection in your life, it's because you never died. And until you die, will you ever be saved? Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. What Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, he exposed Satan's deception. And if you're lost this morning, you're deceived. But he exposed that on the cross. He exposed the society's destruction, the world's destruction. He has exposed the sin's damnation. Not only did the sinner die on the cross, the law died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Sin died on the cross. Satan and all his power and principalities died on the cross. I wonder this morning, the question at hand is this, are you dead to sin? The question is this, are you dead in Christ? Would you come, dear friend? Would you come? Would you come to Jesus this morning? Say, I am what I am, and I've always been like this. But I'm tired. I'm sick of it. I've ran my course. I've planted my oats. I lived my life. I'm at the end. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to lay down. I'm ready to let go in order for Jesus to rise in my heart. Anybody like that today? Anybody? This ain't a game. This is not foolish. Please don't lightly take this message this morning. Be sober-minded. You come. You sing, Brother George. If you come, I'll meet you right here. And we'll show you what the Bible says about being born again. Will you come? See, this is what we need this morning. This is what the world needs this morning. The world needs to hear they have to die. This is what sinners going to hell need. They need to die. In order to be resurrected. I love you, church. I love you, dear, dear visitor. Come to know Jesus this morning. That's my heart's desire. That's why I preach with such passion and such conviction. I want you to be resurrected. Resurrected in Christ. Yes, amen. The choice to die. The circumcision of death. The cause. The cross. It was Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No turning back. No turning back for me. No turning back. No. No turning back. Brother George, will you dismiss us here this morning? Thank you, visitors, for coming today. May the Lord bless you. You come back with us. Thank you, members, and all that are here. Bless your holy name.
Are you one? 